It's morning, eight o'clock to be exact, and you're huddled in your LPOP with your buddy Jim looking out over the horizon. It's day 87 of Scenario X, and you're just listening to the morning radio chatter while this person chats with that person about nothing in particular, but you're listening very closely for a few important phrases. This week, the go code for trouble is spark show, and then you hear it. You look at Jim, he looks at you, and you nod with an eyebrow raised. Something is wrong. You don't know what at this point because nobody's going to say anything over the radio. But you know that it's coming. So you listen closely on the other frequency, the command frequency, the one that rotates every week. And before long, you hear it officially. Skybird, Skybird, stand by. Alpha, Kilo. Echo, Echo, Lima, Mike, Foxtrot, Sierra, Charlie, Oscar. You look at Jim as he rapidly decodes this string of characters onto a piece of paper, checking his brevity matrix. And he nods happily to himself, looks up at you, and says, we're going to three. The game is afoot, you think. Quietly in your head, you start thinking about what is going to happen around the community in the meantime. Entry control points are going to start going up. You're going to see an extra ammunition load get dropped off at your LPOP, as well as new defense positions opening up nearby. In your head, you're thinking about all those guys who are resting out this morning, going to get out of bed and start doing some 24-hour operations. The normal patrol is due in 10 minutes, but given you're going to three, you expect to see them twice as often with more people. Everyone else is going into Minuteman status, meaning they're still free to rest. But procedures are in place to make sure that if trouble does come knocking on the door, they're ready to react at a moment's notice. Just like those wily Americans all those hundreds of years ago. Welcome to DEFCONS. And welcome to the Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it's all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I am your host, Matt Robertson. I am glad you are here with me today. Now, the topic we're going to go over is DEFCONs, or more specifically, defensive conditions and posture during emergencies like Scenario X. Now, you may or may not know this. I have quite the background with DEFCONs. Uh, in geopolitics and international deterrence and all these things, that is what I used to do before becoming a nerd in the tech sector as an instructor. So it was really interesting to go through my thought processes here about how this all applies at a community level in an emergency. So uh, now I'm not an expert with infantry tactics and, and control points and things like that. So I did ask around to a bunch of friends of mine who have a bit more experience there just to get their take on it. And I think we got a pretty good grasp. So as we go into this, you know, keep an open mind. Just think about it a little bit. All right. So before we get into it, I do want to talk about Ammo Squared. Now, they are not a sponsor. They're not paying me for this, um, but I do have an affiliate arrangement with them, meaning that I do a little bit of promotion. And then if you go out and you buy anything, I get a small commission, which helps me pay for my expenses, like running the podcast, running the website uh, and all other stuff that I have to pay for. Now, I don't normally promote anything because, well, I don't want to be associated with that. In this case, 
They're not paying me any extra money. It's the same like two or 3% that everybody else will do. But I thought this was a really interesting offer. So if you bear with me for one minute, I'm going to explain it to you and hope you check it out at mosquared.com forward slash marksman. So I've always told people that you should buy ammo slowly. It's the best way to stockpile. If you wait to buy a bunch of ammo until something actually happens and ammo availability goes down, you're going to pay a lot of money trying to buy that extra two, three, four, five hundred 500 rounds of ammo. So a better way to do it is to buy an extra box from time to time every time you go shoot and just set it aside. Over time, you stockpile it and then you have it for when times get hard. Ammo Squared has a really interesting way of doing it by automating that process for you. You deposit money every month into your account. You define how you want that money distributed between whatever ammo you want, 22, 308, 223, 9mm, whatever, and they go buy it in bulk with everybody else. It's like robo-investing for ammo. And then once they buy it, they allocate it to your account, and when you're ready, they ship it to you. So you can stockpile your ammo in their climate-controlled facility, and then when you're ready, have it sent to you. So it's buying ammo slowly. Now, for a limited time, if you... Go to ammosquared.com forward slash marksman. Uh, not only will you get to participate in this and you help me out a little bit, but you also get $20 credit towards your account and your first crate. Now, if you want to know more about this, you can check out everydaymarksman.co forward slash ammo. And I have my post where I wrote up all the, th- all the stuff I learned about this along the way. Okay. Thank you for listening with that. Let's get on to this episode. Now, Last time, I gave a really detailed breakdown of what is Scenario X. It is our emergency situation, kind of a disaster, uh, that, that's setting up why we need to think about these things. Now, a lot of people in the Second Amendment world are really quick to jump to employing small unit tactics, rocking full battle rattle, and otherwise being on constant war footing. And the truth is that you're simply unlikely to go from zero to battle rattle and our kind of disaster. Most of your time, in fact, is going to get spent on just the mundane tasks of staying alive and dealing with the suck. Things like taking care of your family and community with food, maintenance, education, health, medical, all that stuff still needs to happen. The run-up to war footing happens gradually, and often with some warning that things are about to go badly. So let's dig in. I'm going to go back into my, my background here as a nuclear weapons officer and talk about posture, diplomacy, and deterrence. Now, it's not a secret that I spent my military career not as a door kicker, but as a nuclear weapons officer. You know, my primary career field was all about launching nukes. Now, as part of that experience, I spent a lot of time learning about the history of nuclear policy, and I saw real time how posture was used both as a way to prepare for conflict, but also influence decisions of other world powers. And while ICBMs, my weapon system, were not really great instruments of posture because they, they sit quietly in a silo underground, you can't really see them, there is something to be said about parking a nuclear-capable bomber on a runway within range of adversaries and then running exercises over international waters nearby. The purpose of presenting yourself as a formidable foe is causing your opponent to hesitate and evaluate their chances of winning against you. Now, they may still win in the end should they go forward with the attack, but they have to do a calculation about what they lose in the process. Now, if they decide that the chance of being destroyed is high and the cost of winning against you isn't worth what they gain, they're probably not going to engage. This is called deterrence, and it's among the most important political tools that governments have. It also has a lot of implications for you. 
Now, this is has a lot of nuance to it. You know, one of the colonels I used to work for way back in the day was a loud and rambunctious man who used to brag that he was the only Catholic Pakistani with a Texas accent that I'd ever meet. And we loved him for his attitude and the way he took care of people. And among the many rants that he went on during our morning briefings, he used to opine that deterrence was fundamentally a calculation of skill multiplied by will. At its heart, your adversary must gauge whether you actually have the capability to do what you say, and if you have the fortitude to follow through with it. Now, this is a tricky calculation, though. One of the purposes of deterrence is to respond to perceived threats and prevent them from escalating. On the other end of the spectrum is a risk that raising your posture too far beyond what's called for Well, it makes you look like the bad guy, the aggressor, and then your adversary is going to raise their posture as well, and it becomes a spiral of escalation. And we saw it nearly come to a terrible end during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So the game has to be played with some nuance. So why am I going down this rabbit hole of international politics and deterrence? Well, in short, it's because all the same rules apply at a local level as they do at the international level. True, you and I don't have nuclear weapons, bombers, and massive armies to array on the battlefield to make the point. But then again, neither does your opponent. The purpose of this is to explain why immediately going to war footing with your group of 35 to 40 isn't the right call. As fun as it might be to imagine yourself becoming the local warlord in Scenario X, reality is not really going to work that way. For example, when it comes time to connect with other neighborhoods and create mutual defense agreements, which you should, and share supplies, which you should, and do all those other basic tasks, you don't want to be seen as the aggressor who's merely presenting the illusion of choice of either go along with us or die. On the other hand, you definitely want to present enough of a posture that passerbys and those with nefarious intent decide that your community probably isn't worth the trouble. So how do we do that? I'm going to introduce this concept to you called community defense alert conditions or alert cons. Now understand there is no one size fits all standard here. Everything I'm about to say is purely based on my opinion, observations, and what makes sense to me just based on my background, which is a wildly different context. And it's not perfect. This is a starting point for a conversation of what you should think about. Now that said, there are some basic principles that you really should consider. Firstly, is the importance of a simple system for communicating current posture. Now, in this system, everyone should understand how their role is affected by changes to the alert condition, and they should practice performing those actions from time to time. This is what exercises and drills are for. Second, your current alert condition, the actions you're going to take when changing those conditions, should not be advertised. I don't advocate for some kind of flag system or really any observable means to identify something might be amiss to an outsider. It's something that should be communicated privately, in person, or using some kind of coded phrases uh, like you heard in the introduction. But why do I think this? Well, it's a security measure in and of itself. Should an intelligent adversary decide to test you, then they can watch for indicators of something changing, like flags, lights, audible signals, you know, that kind of thing. And then if they associate those with specific actions, like doubling your guard or suddenly roadblocks popping up, then they learn to poke holes in your defense and circumvent deterrence. So let's go into the LertCon system. In the last Scenario X conversation, I discussed some fundamentals about U.S. government's DEFCON or defense conditions. Now, this is a good example to follow 
because you can see how escalation happens over time, at least in theory. Now, as a reminder, DEFCON 5 to 1, 5 being the lowest, 5 means normal readiness, it's day-to-day life. DEFCON 4 is heightened awareness, which means being alert, strengthening security measures. DEFCON 3 is conflict as possible, and you need to increase your readiness to fight. DEFCON 2 is conflict as likely, and prepare to fight with short notice. And DEFCON 1 means the fight is imminent or has already started. Now, what you don't see are the specific actions that happen from one step to the next, if any. And that's because it absolutely changes depending on the location, the job function, and other factors. Now, how might this system get used for your community in Scenario X? I think that's a great thought exercise, and that's what we're diving into. So for illustration purposes, I'm defining this as alert condition or alert con as opposed to any other option like DEF CON, FP CON, WAR CON, or anything like that. It doesn't matter what you call it for yourself. So just go with me here. So let's talk about alert con 5, normal readiness. You might get confused and think that alert con 5 means all is well and equate it with nothing needed. And that's not true, though. We should always plan to have some kind of measure of security, whether it's active patrolling of the perimeter, discrete listening and observation posts, LPOPs, and just good community security practices overall. LurtCon 5 simply means that there isn't any indication that something is amiss. And for all intents and purposes, it's just day-to-day life. Before the disaster, you might think of it as having a neighborhood watch with regular communication amongst your neighbors and sharing of information. After a disaster... Not a whole lot changes other than an increased need to network and communicate with your neighbors. To me, LurkCon 5 is mainly about planning. You and your neighbors should already be thinking about security measures long before an actual disaster happens. Now, I realize this is a tough ask for a lot of folks. Some of these things might not actually happen until after the need has already arisen. But if you can do them earlier, then all the better. So what actions might fall under this? Well, all right, let's go down some specific things. Number one, you should get to know your neighbors and your group. You know, catalog your general skill sets, fitness levels, build phone trees and communications plans. Who are the veterans, who are the mechanics, who are engineers, electricians, who knows how to grow food, who has medical expertise? All that stuff is important. Next, you want to establish regular meetups and build that rapport where you can trade information about what's going on in the community. You want to know your neighbors. Number three, you should do an area study. Now, if if you're not familiar with that, that's okay. We're going to dive into this topic a bit more later on in another episode. But do an area study of your community and its surroundings. Obtain maps. Identify key points of defense, LPOP positions, cache locations. Look for paths of ingress and egress, natural lines of drift, and all that fun stuff. Know the area. Have maps. Develop a Signal Operating Instruction, or SOI, again, another episode we're going to cover. You kind of heard a little bit of it this morning. You want to have frequency plans, call signs, brevity matrix, matrices, 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 whatever, and other stuff that's going to go into your comms plan. And you also want to acquire any specialized equipment to support your community, such as communications, observation, defensive, medical, and all that fun stuff. By the time we're actually in Scenario X, we're already on to the next level, which is LurkCon 4, or heightened awareness. This is the first real step up, but it's a subtle one that shouldn't really be seen out of the ordinary. At this level, you don't have any specific indication that a threat is looming or something is wrong beyond the disaster itself. 
This is the stage where your group is preparing to actively protect yourselves and your families from threats. However, this is not the time to start planning things. Instead, you should be implementing the plans you already made during LurkCon 5 before all this ever happened. If you haven't finished at least the basics of those plans, then now you have a fire under your butt to get it done. Now, again, what are the specific things I would want to see done here? Well, you're probably going to want to set up a command post for centralizing communications and coordination of security, logistics, and all that stuff. You'll want to organize your group of into teams of four to six with specific job tasks so they can focus on those skills and learn to provide 24-hour coverage as needed. So what are those specific job tasks? Think medical, think communications and monitoring. Uh, For instance, with communications, um, much more time should be spent listening to a scanner and logging what they hear than transmitting anything. Of course, you're going to have teams of defensive uh, and, you know, thinking about families that will have education. You're going to have cooking. There's lots of stuff that has to happen. Now, you're going to want to consolidate all your important supplies, you know, medical, weapons, ammo, tooling, fuel, water, uh, and put those in the cache locations that you already identified. You want to protect these areas because they are going to be seen as valuable to outsiders. And I personally wouldn't put everything all in one spot because that's easy pickings. Now, like I mentioned, you want to make sure you assign roles and tasks to individuals based on their skills and abilities, which you should have already identified during LurkCon 5. Then you want to set up your discrete LPOPs, your listing posts, observation posts, again, according to your plan. This exists to provide ongoing awareness of what's coming and going from the area. Now, the interesting thing with LPOPs is that, yeah, they should have radios, but I don't think they should transmit because the point to the LPOP is to be secret and discrete. And while I'm giving an awful lot of credit to probably what could be some random, random bad guys in this situation... You know, anytime somebody lights up a transmit signal, they're easy to find with anybody with, you know, a couple of antennas. So, you know, part of your SOI, again, later topic. Next, you want to have security patrols. Now, the interesting thing here is I'm actually defining loadouts a little bit. Again, we're going to talk about this more later on. But you should have security patrols with fairly discrete loadouts. You know, lightweight, think two to three magazines per person, you know, carried with discretion. Battle belt, maybe under a jacket, sure. Uh, The point is you have people actively out and about patrolling, looking like they know what they're doing without looking like they're Rambo because you don't want to be the adversary, but, but they can defend themselves long enough to get help. You definitely want to implement the SOI that you developed earlier, and that way you can keep up communications between these different groups. The goal at LurkCon 4 is still keeping life as normal as possible with a regular routine that every member of the group and the family can participate in. This is pretty much going to be your daily life. You and your group should be able to sustain LurkCon 4 almost indefinitely. So the goal isn't to go wild with security measures. We just want to maintain our awareness of the environment and provide a layer of security that's both visible and not visible that gives us that subtle deterrence effect. It just makes it seem like, you know what? They seem like they're a little better put together. I'm going to move along. You're not presenting yourself as hostile, just prepared. I suggest that routinely but randomly running drills and exercises to simulate higher alert cons and keep everyone practiced on their toes as well as keeping the bad guys wondering what's going on because nothing happens. So why, why is activity suddenly happening? Now let's get to alert con three, which you heard of in the introduction. At this stage, you have a indication that something is on the horizon. 
Maybe it's a report of attacks on nearby communities. Maybe it's a radio chatter about pending conflict directly related to you. This is the first time you're significantly raising your posture in order to provide serious deterrence. And Lurkon 4 is about presenting the image of a community that's aware and prepared. Lurkon 3 is about presenting the image of do not mess with us in less nice terms. <laughs> now, some of the obvious changes to behavior might look like supplementing your LPOPs with additional defensive positions to provide you know, overlapping fields of fire. Again, don't give away the LPOP locations by having them be the same places as your defensive positions. You don't want to do that. Next, you want to set up your pre-planned entry control points. You want to limit access to only specific ways in or out of the area, and everyone coming and going should be positively identified. Now, the next step here is the loadouts. Whereas at LurkCon 4, it was more about discretion and defensive capability. At LurkCon 3, now you're thinking about actually sustaining a firefight. So I would say, you know, rather than a simple battle belt with two to three spare magazines, you're talking full, you know, load-bearing equipment, LBEs, or adding chest rigs, uh, maybe plates. You know, the point is about raising that posture of, yeah, you really, you really don't want to mess with us. Now, some of the roles you've got are going to start switching to 24-hour operations. You know, the command post, which had some communications capability, that's always been that way since, you know, LurkCon 4. But at 3, now you're thinking about your your medical, you're thinking about food, you're thinking about other situations where you just need more people ready and active and doing their jobs. Now, the way you could structure this with three people or six people or basically multiples of two after those first three is think about shifts. One person is actively doing the job. One person is resting with boots on, air quoting, meaning that if they had to get up right now and help out, they can. And the third person is in total rest status, meaning don't bother me, leave me alone. Uh, but with that cycle, basically eight hours on, eight hours kind of in the middle, eight hours off, you can sustain that for a little while without getting too tired. Even better if you can get six people and doing two each because that way the two people who are awake can help each other out and keep each other awake. You also start increasing your patrol frequency and or you know, the number of people who are doing this. And then everybody else should go to Minuteman status, meaning that they are free to continue that rest, rest status but should be prepared to get up and spring to action with little to no notice. Now, one of the goals here is to be subtle, but visible. While you know the current status and some of the other actions you're taking, like increasing security, LPOPs, entry control, uh, quick reaction forces, you don't always want to advertise everything. A smart adversary is going to test you. They're going to poke around and see how you react to various actions that they take. So if your shifts and posture are obvious and predictable, then they can be countered. Now, LurkCon 3 is not meant to be held indefinitely. You can do it for a while, but keeping it up for a long period is going to cause fatigue and morale problems, as well as those diplomatic problems with other communities you're trying to be friendly with. You know, why it's always seem like you're on war footing, nothing's going on, so just use it judiciously. Now, if your hunch pays off and something actually does start to escalate, now we go to LurkCon 2, which means conflict is likely. At this stage, you have specific and actionable reason to believe that an attack is likely to happen and to happen soon with your community. In my opinion, not a whole lot's actually going to change from LurkCon 3 to LurkCon 2 as far as your visible posture. 
What does change is pulling all those vulnerable groups like families and children that you identified way back during LurkCon 5 and 4, you pull them away from the perimeter and towards designated safe zones. They're easier to protect. That's not to say put everybody in one location. That's a juicy target, so just be smart about it. You might also upgrade your Minuteman force to something a bit more consolidated and mobile, whereas before people could stay in their homes or in different spots. Now everybody's going to stay together. So if you've got a quick reaction force, they're going to be dispersed to specific locations with vehicles to quickly get where they need to be. Maybe this reduces your reaction time down from 30 minutes to 10 minutes. That can help. Now, this also means looking at your logistics capabilities and you're going to need runners with ammo and supplies. And you're also going to have to pull people back if they get injured. Now, again, some specific things to look at. Pulling those vulnerable people away from the perimeter. You want to get people on 24-hour operations. Like everybody is on 24-hour operations with up or down. So there is no more like leave me alone rest status. You're either up and doing the job or you're, you're, you're down with boots on, but you can get up and do it. And you're getting your, your logistics ready. Now, LurkCon 2 is going to cause hardship amongst your group and their family. So you should not sustain this for long periods just due to that mental and physical fatigue. It's going to cause a problem. This is really meant to be very short term because you're bracing for something to happen. From a visible posture standpoint, nothing's changing significantly. You, you've already presented your, your community as hard to kill with everything up to that point. So the goal now is just preparing the battle space by reducing the risk of the vulnerable and readying your group to effectively respond at short notice. And then we get to LurkCon 1, which is the attack is imminent or is already underway. At this point, the fight is on. If you've already done everything right up to this point, then you have no further actions to pursue other than just winning the fight at hand and dealing with the aftermath of it. So good luck and Godspeed. Now, as a reminder, what I've said here is just merely my opinion based on what I've read and experienced. I'm, I'm not a force protection expert by any means, and there's very likely some things I've missed here. The goal was to introduce you to some ways of thinking about stuff. Everything I've mentioned here, there are experts, there are schools you can go to, there are people who know these. I plan on talking to a lot more of them to dig into some of these topics. But the goal is just introducing the idea. If you haven't thought about these things yet, now they're in your mind and you can start taking action on it. So I'm hoping to bring more of these things to you as we continue down this rabbit hole that is Scenario X. So stick around for the next episode. Now with that, thanks for listening. It's As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Come by the website at everydaymarksman.co. You'll find today's show notes as well as our social media links, our YouTube channel, more podcast episodes, and as always, our awesome community of Marksmen. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next time.